Have you ever noticed how much kids believe and how little they fear? I find it amazing. I was uh, driving home the other night and we were coming home from a friend's house and it was dark out and my kids were in the backseat and they were both very scared and because they're scared of the dark. And so I told my son when I was getting him out of the car, you don't have to be scared. Jesus is with you. He keeps you safe and he helps you have courage. And, uh, and so I told him that and, and uh, he believed me. It was amazing because the other day we were driving through the car wash and he is terrified of car washes, right? When he's in the car and the car is just, you can't see outside of it. He is absolutely scared. And I could hear him in the back seat going, Jesus is with me. Jesus is with me. Um, to the point that we were coming home the other night as well, again, from another friend's house. It was dark out and my daughter was scared. And he leaned over and told her, Gracie, Jesus is with you. It's amazing. Actually, I asked them permission if I could share that story. And Gracie said, when you tell that story, Daddy, make sure you tell them Jesus loves them. So there we go. That's from my daughter, Grace. But um, I find it absolutely amazing that when I tell my kids something, they believe it without questioning it, because they have no reason not to, right? And, and the amount of things that they fear is actually incredibly small. And, and I wonder if there's maybe a secret to learn here. Because a child has so little to fear, why? Because they don't yet know how to project future possibilities in their current thought process. That's, that's the starting point of fear. All they really know how to do is remember what has happened and kind of play out the future based on that. And even that is still developing in their mind. So this is, I think, the secret to living by faith and living without fear. It's, it's the difference between the likely and the unlikely, between the realistic and the irrational, between the sane and the insane. Because fear is based on what might possibly happen Faith is based on what has already happened. In fact, let me just give you permission. You're allowed to say amen today. You're allowed to say, come on, preach it. You're allowed to take notes. Uh, in fact, if you're taking notes, the title of my message this morning is Say He Can't. Say He Can't. We're in a series, a mini-series, a couple weeks, that's all about the sanity of insane faith, and we're calling it Say It Ain't So. And today I'm going to preach a message called Say He Can't. So if you're taking notes, you can write down right at the top, Say He Can't. Because fear says, based on what might happen, I'm going to fill in the blank. Faith says, based on what God has already done, based on what God has already showed me, based on what God has already revealed and said and followed through, therefore, I'm going to fill in the blank. And since what has already happened is much more real than what might possibly happen, faith will always be more realistic than fear. So for the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the sanity of insane faith. Today, what I want to do is I want to talk about the object of insane faith, the object of insane faith, who is the eternally reliable and fully capable God. It's... it's the message is called Say He Can't, and it's, it's a rally cry against anybody that might try to convince you that living a life based on the word and the faithfulness and the calling of God is absolutely insane. Come on, say he can't. I, I dare you to convince me that God cannot and that God does not want to. I, I trust God's capability, and I also trust God's character. Say he can't. I know he can. And then next week, so this week we're talking about the 
object of insane faith. And next week, we're going to talk about the opportunity for insane faith. Living beyond our understanding, but fully within his calling in a message called Say I Won't. So if you have your Bible, I would invite you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, and if you're able, would you go ahead and stand with me as we read the first three verses and then a, a couple more after that. Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 1. It says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It's the evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in the days of old earned a good reputation. And by faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command. That what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. Let's skip down to verse 8. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as an inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going, and even when he reached the land God had promised him, he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. It was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, even though she was barren and was too old, she believed that God would keep his promise. And so a whole nation came from this one man who was as good as dead. A nation with so many people that, like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, there's no way to count them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that you would inspire faith inside of us to believe more and to fear less. I pray that you would inspire a humility inside of us to see you as much greater and to see ourselves as very <laughs> realistically small in comparison. And so, Lord, I pray that you would move inside of our hearts, not just to agree on something this morning, but to truly believe, to have faith. Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. Faith is the reality of what we hope for, the evidence of what we cannot see. There's actually a lot of confusion about what exactly does that mean? And, and it has to be important because a little bit later in verse 6, it says that's impossible to please God without faith. So what does it mean that faith is the reality of what we hope for? Now, if you remember in the NIV, maybe, I was reading out of the New Living Translation, uh, the NIV says that faith is the confidence of what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. Maybe you grew up reading the King James Version and you remember it this way. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What does that actually mean? Well, what I want to do is actually not look at a particular translation. I want to look at the original language that it was written in. Um, the statement of, of what faith is like actually uses two particular words. Um, the first word is hypostasis, and the second word is elikos. I'm going to just break those down for you really quick so it's not Greek to you. Um, that was a joke. It's bad when your dad joke is called out by your dad. <laughs> um, 
Hypostasis. This comes from two words, hypo and stasis. Hypo means under, like, uh, like hypothermia, like your temperature's dropped under, right? And then stasis means to make stand, to, to hold something up, to support something. So hypostasis is essentially meaning uh, the reality or the underlying structure. Now, it's actually, it's in contrast, and the way it's used, it's in contrast to something that merely appears to be something, like a mirage, right? It's the, it's the literal substance of something. Right? A guy running in the desert and he sees a lake and he jumps in the sand and he sees a mirage. He's like, no. But the hypostasis of that would be an actual lake. The reality, the underlying structure, the, the physical evidence of it. Right? And so uh, he, the, this is the, the hypostasis. And then the second word that he uses, faith is the hypostasis of things hoped for, the elikos of things not seen. Which basically is the evidence or the proof usually rendered after um, a discussion or an argument. So think about like the, the evidence or proof that would persuade a jury in a court case to render a final verdict, right? The closing clincher, the smoking gun, so to speak. That's the elikos, the evidence or the proof. And so Hebrews 11, this beautiful and grand picture of what lived faith is supposed to look like, starts with this statement. Faith is the hypostasis of what we hope for, the elikos of what we cannot see. In other words, faith realizes what is spoken by God, but yet to be seen by man. Now, you need to get this. You need to understand this, that faith is when the believer is persuaded by God and assured of his character. And as a result of this persuasion, moves in the, towards the spoken reality of God, never having seen it before. Okay? Faith is the persuasion that, that the things that God has promised, but have yet to reveal themselves, are true because of the reliability of God, who's eternally capable and reliable. He's proven himself over and over and over again. Um, to say it another way, I move in faith because I have more reasons to trust God than my temporary circumstances or my finite understanding would try to convince me otherwise. Okay? I have more reasons to trust God than anything else. That's, that's why I move in faith. So what I want to do really quick is come to a basic understanding of faith, a basic definition that we can kind of work with for the rest of this message. And it's simply this, and you can write this down. Faith is believing God. Faith is believing God. In what way? Faith is believing God. It's, it's being persuaded by God to believe what he has said and move towards what he has promised. Faith is being persuaded by God, not just on an intellectual level, but on a lifestyle level to believe what he said and move towards what he promised. There's a difference between just intellectually believing something. James, the brother of Jesus, mentions this. James 2.19, right? You say you have faith, well done. Even the demons believe and they tremble. In other words, it's not going to save you just to believe facts. You actually have to base your life on it, to live as if it's true. Otherwise, it belies the fact that you probably don't actually believe it. Okay, it goes hand in hand. And, and so, faith is being persuaded by God to believe what he said and move towards what he has promised. And this is why the writer of Hebrews says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It's the evidence of what you cannot see. Here's the thing. You, you don't wind up seeing what you put your hope in without faith, without being persuaded by God to believe what he said and move towards what he's promised. You're not going to see it if you're not moving towards it. And so all these people, 
in the first few verses of Hebrews 11, it actually talks about a number of people. Cain, or I'm sorry, Abel, and Enoch, and Noah. All of these people had loads of reasons to put their faith and trust in God. They, they had years and years of shared history with God, where God proved himself faithful over and over and over again. And so it made a lot of sense for them to begin to live by faith. But what's interesting is, you get down to verse 8, which we jump down to, and, and Abram actually has no history with God. Okay. Now you can turn back to Genesis chapter 12 just to track with me. I'm not going to read the whole thing because I want to briefly cover Genesis 12 through 21, but you can kind of track along with me to make sure I'm not missing anything. Right before Genesis 12, end of Genesis 11, Abram's family is a pagan idol-worshiping family living in Ur of the Chaldees. They actually move on their way towards Canaan. They start moving towards Canaan and they settle... Um, they settle in a land on their way. They just stop. And they settle there for almost 200 years. And this is where God speaks to Abram, which is crazy because Abram knew lots of gods. Abram was familiar with lots of gods. In fact, there's probably one God he wasn't familiar with, the one who actually spoke to him. He has no family history leading him to know about this God, to listen for this God. And yet, out of nowhere, God speaks to him. And so I begin to wonder, like, why is Abram actually listening to something so life-changing from God right away? Because God shows up in Genesis 12 and says, Abram, I want you to pack up, leave your homeland, leave your family, and go to a land that I'm going to show you. And at this point, God's a stranger to him. Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, is a stranger to him. Why should he trust him? Keep this in mind. Both Genesis 12 and Hebrews 11.8 both happen, both are arranged by the biblical writers literally right before the story of Noah. Okay? The man who walked with God for 500 years before God says, hey, I want you to build a boat even though it's never rained. Which is, this is a funny story. I wish I could preach on this one today, but maybe some other time, right? If you had heard Noah explain his reasons for doing something so unusual, it would have sounded insane. Noah, um, <laughs> Noah would have sounded like a conspiracy theorist. Think about it. What's rain, Noah? Who is this God you're talking about? Did you just make him up? He's going to do what? Destroy the world? Oh, okay. Like, uh, Noah, where'd you get your tinfoil hat? He, he would have sounded insane. But the world was quite literally changed as a result of God keeping his word to his man. The entire spectrum of what everybody knew had one thing in common. That it had recently been destroyed by a flood and built back up by the man of God, Noah, and his family. And this remains as an enduring testimony through the holiness and the trustworthiness and the consistency of God every time a rainbow appeared in the sky. And so when this God shows up to call Abram, the reputation of his character and his capability powerfully precedes him. 
It's the history. Some of y'all need to take notes on just this. If this is the only reason you came to church today. It's the history and the testimony of somebody else's faith that inspired Abram to pay attention and take his first step of faith. Don't give up. Don't give up on your faith. When it feels like no one in your family is watching. When it feels like all of your prayers are just hitting the ceiling and bouncing back down. Please don't give up, mom and dad. Please don't give up, grandma and grandpa. It was the testimony of somebody else's history with God that inspired Abram to pick up the phone when God called. So before we ever talk about a life that is characterized by what somebody else would call insane faith, what I want to do is established this week first um, why this kind of faith actually makes a lot of sense. The sanity of insane faith. Where does the sanity lie? Where does the sanity of insane faith lie? It lies in what we already know. We know our God. We know his history. He has never failed And to demonstrate, what I want to do is is take a look at Abram's story here. Genesis chapter 12 through through chapter 21. It's not the entirety of his story. It's the beginning of his story. But I want to summarize it really quickly for you. Um, It took me a few hours to like carefully read through it and think through it the other night. So we can do that if you'd like. Or I can just summarize it for you and we can get on with the rest of the message. Um, So here's how it goes. God calls Abram to leave his home and go to a place that God would show him. Out of the blue, stranger God. He made a covenant with him and filled with amazing promises. But then almost immediately, God, Abram got, doubts God's promise as he lies about his wife as the king of Egypt tries to steal her to join his harem. Um, but God's faithful again and protects Abram anyways. Then, after rescuing Lot, his nephew, from his poor choice of neighbors, Abram meets a man who is a prophet, priest, and king by the name of Melchizedek. And this is a foreshadow of God's Messiah. Hebrews 7 talks about this. And he places his blessing on Abraham and his seed. God shows up to state his generational covenant promise to Abram. And Abram believed God's promise. Romans 4 talks about why that's so significant. But then in another act of unbelief, Abram takes his blessing into his own hands by essentially raping his servant girl to create his own version of God's promise. So God approaches Abram a third time to offer his blessing, and this time he changes his tradition and his identity, and then God reiterates his blessing to Abraham and Sarah, that they were going to have an impossible birth that would mark the genius of God's miraculous faithfulness to his chosen people and to his own glory. Now over in Sodom, in a twist of expectations, Lot discovers, shocker, that he's settled in an incredibly evil area. And so God sends his angels to protect Abraham's family, Lot, from the destruction that Sodom and Gomorrah had earned. And yet again, Abraham Abraham distrusts God, lies about his wife, and God is faithful yet again and persuades the king to release Sarah. And then finally, the son of promise, Isaac, is born. In this act, God is shown to be faithful over so many years, and almost immediately, Abraham and Sarah go back to abusing their servants. And then King Abimelech notices the faithful hand of God on his life, and he's quick to strike up a covenant of protection and partnership with this man. Now, let me ask you this question in review. Who is that story about? Let me rephrase it. Who's the hero of that story? This story is not about Abraham's faith, but about God's faithfulness. 
And in turn, as a result of God demonstrating his faithfulness over and over, then Abraham is persuaded as he sees God's actions towards him are not dependent on his own goodness, but rather on God's greatness. Abraham became assured of this, that when God promises something, he's going to deliver. He always has. He always will. Say he can't. God will come through because he's proven it to me. And as a result, I'm persuaded to live a life of faith. See, Abraham's faith was not based on these hopes and these dreams that he kind of made up. And he just prayed really hard that God would get with it. God would give him the blessings he was hoped for. No, no. Abraham's faith was fixed on the promises of a God who had shown himself to be capable and proven his character to be reliable. And this is actually proven to be true for all believers of all time, that the faith of believers isn't based on hopes and dreams that they want God to make happen for them. Their faith is fixed on the promises given to them by a God who has proven himself faithful over and over and over again. This is the point. If you don't write anything down, please write this down. This is the big point. That faith isn't holding on to my hopes. Faith is pursuing God's promise. Faith isn't holding on to my hopes. Praying so hard that there's something I'm hoping for and I'm just trying to pray to overcome God's reluctance. And if I didn't pray hard enough, things are going to fall apart. And if I didn't have enough faith, it's my fault that this thing happened or didn't happen. That's not faith. That's wishful thinking. And you just happen to involve God in the process. Faith is pursuing God's promise. It's, it's, some of you have heard God speak, right? You've, you've read your Bible and God highlighted something in your spirit and said, that's for you. Or maybe you heard another believer confirm God's voice in your life. Or the Holy Spirit sealed on your heart. You were at church, you heard the pastor say something, and the Holy Spirit was sealed it on your heart. And you're like, oh, man, I'm pretty sure I heard God speak to me directly. And so you sought wise counsel. You made sure it lined up with Scripture. Uh, you made sure you didn't rip it out of context just to make yourself feel good. You prayed about it. You felt an overwhelming peace that comes with God's promise. But... But that was a long time ago. And you're just starting to wonder now if you're imagining things. And you're facing this unknown future, this massive hindrance. You're confused. And the enemy steps up to the plate and goes, did God really say? And so though it was spoken to you, about something that was to be seen, something promised, now you're standing in front of the unknown. And you can't see beyond it. You can't see past it. You're just standing here in your own echo chamber going, did God really say? I mean, I feel like I remember he spoke so clearly, but I, I don't see it yet. And you can be tempted to throw up your hands and give up on faith 
give up on praying or even give up on God. But can I tell you this morning that just because you've heard the voice of God does not mean you're automatically going to receive the promise right away. The last verse of Genesis 21 goes like this. And Abraham, he's, he's in Canaan now. He's fought kings. He's won battles. He's received blessings. God has brought him and been faithful to his promise. And Abraham lived as a foreigner in Philistine country for a long time. In fact, most of his life, he did not see the promise of God. God might have brought you face to face to a barrier to his promise. He might have brought you right up into the unknown. Maybe because if you could just grab it, you would take credit for it. Maybe because sitting here a little bit longer is what your character needs to produce. Maybe because somebody else is needing to be worked on and you just are waiting here while someone else is in the operating room and God's going, I'm, I'm working it out. I'm getting them ready so that when you are there, they're ready. But God might have brought you straight to the unknown. It doesn't mean the promise is far off. It might just mean it's on the other side. And this is what faith is. Faith is receiving a revelation from God, even though I can't see it, and it doesn't quite make sense in my life yet, and moving forward anyway. It's saying, I, I hear you, God. You've spoken to me, but even though I don't understand the thing you're revealing about what you've promised up there, I believe you. You've never failed me. Even when I did everything to make that relationship work or make that business work or I moved forward in what I thought you were saying and it just seemed to fall apart and I came up short, you still provided for me, for my family. For my... I am here today because you've never failed me. You've satisfied me. When every other pleasure dried up, you never ran out. When I was chasing after so many delights, God, you were never a moving target. Entertainment dazzled, sin promised, but it never delivered. It never touched deep enough in my soul. All the pleasures that I ever sought after to, to get my fingers on to have a good time, they promised me high hopes at a high price. But God, you were the one who brought me into the storehouse of eternal joy freely. You satisfied me, God. You've been faithful time and time again. Even when I was faithless, even when I was wandering, even when I was spurning your grace and I repented of my repentance, even when I, I gave up hope and I returned back to that dangerous habit or that addiction, when I turned on those most loving to me, when I ignored your guidance, even when I saw your light and I ran up the other way, God, you chased me down. You never gave up on me. You've been faithful time and time again. You've kept your promise in the craziest of situations. I heard your season in one, I heard your promise in one season, and then I doubted it in the next, and then you came through anyways. 
I heard you speak in 2019, and 2020 happened, and 2021 kept happening. And I'm here in 2022 believing that you're still going to come through, God. You have kept your promises. You've given me more than I could ever deserve. You've proven your power and your capacity. You've shown me your character. And so it doesn't take a crazy leap of faith to realize what you've promised. No, 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 no. You've proven yourself every step of the way. You've been faithful. You satisfied. You were there for me. You never gave up on me. You rescued me from me. And when I look back, it's actually a very logical progression that brought me to the point of faith. There's a sanity to insane faith. And so as a result, I will move forward towards what you have promised. I will move through the unknown. I don't get what's happening here. I don't see what I'm standing on. But you have never failed me yet. Why do I have a reason to think you will now? There's a sanity to insane faith. What looks like insane faith to everyone is just a systematic process of going back in my memory and realizing who brought me to this point. Faith is not holding on to my hopes. I didn't come up with this amazing dream and I just prayed that God would make it happen for me. I said it's wishful thinking. That's at best. At worst, that's selfish idolatry. To say, God, I want this to happen and you have to make it for me. Faith is not holding on to my hopes. Faith is pursuing God's promise. So, if you're ready... To experience the sanity of insane faith. I don't want to ask you this morning. Not yet at least. I don't want to ask you to take some crazy faith leap. Some insane faith step. God will call you to that eventually. What I want to do is just give you that first baby step. That let's start walking before we're running. That it's possible. Either you've been crippled by fear. Or frankly, you've been filled up with pride. And both are antidotes to faith. Because faith says, God is so much bigger and I trust him, not me. So I want to give you a, ba a couple baby steps, three baby steps this morning to get you moving in the right direction of, of insane faith. The first one is this, go back to go forward. Go back to the promises he has made. What has God already said to you? Refresh your memory. Speak his promises over your problems. Go back to what you already know to be true. Faith is not drumming up false confidence in something you're just hoping for. Faith comes from hearing God's word. Right? That's what the Apostle Paul says. Faith comes from hearing. Remind yourself of what God has already said and all the ways that he's proven himself faithful. That's where faith finds its foundation. Go back to what I've already said. Stay grateful for the things and the ways that he's come through on his word. This is going to help you keep your mind firmly planted in reality instead of drifting away in some fairy tale cloudland. 
Think about it. What makes more sense? Predicting a terrible future based on a possibility that hasn't happened yet? Or predicting a wonderfully blessed future based on the promises of an eternally capable and fully reliable God who's never failed you? Which one is more sane and move forward towards what he has promised? So go back to go forward. Number two, look up before looking down. Before looking down to take my next step or put my hands to work on this next thing, look up. Don't forget who it is who's, who's spoken over you. The eternally powerful, capable, trustworthy God. Remember who it is you're following. Remember who it is who's holding your life. Remember who it is that your life is based upon. I think a lot of times what we do is we forget that our life is in God's hands. Right? There was this one moment of, of faith. And we said, God, here's a steering wheel. Um, make sure you turn left. There's a green light. Go, 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 go. Ah, stop! God, slow down! You can't pass this person? Let's go! Okay, you're going to turn left up here, and when you get to Wilson Road, you're going to take a left, and then you're going to go about a half an hour, and then when you see the silo, Jesus is like, I know. I am the GPS. <laughs> you ever been with somebody who's a much worse driver than you, and they're telling you how to drive? I, don't look at the person. They're probably sitting next to you. <laughs> Man, we do that with God too, don't we? And Jesus is going, have I ever failed you? Have I ever made a mistake? Have I ever been reckless or careless with your heart, with your relationships, with your life? then why are you trying to take it back after you've given it to me? Notice this. Notice this. I think so often we, need to, we feel like we need to see the thing to move forward in faith. We, we, we're like, God, I'm right here. I'm facing the door of this unknown. But I don't see the building. Like, you brought me to this thing that doesn't quite make sense. I don't see what this is going to, God. Like, what's the building this leads me into? And he's like, just take a step forward. You don't need to see it yet. This is, this is how the next few verses in Hebrews 11 goes. All these people, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, all these people died still believing what God had promised. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it from a distance. They were on this side of the door, and they welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Now, obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country that they can call their own. If they longed for a country they came from, they could have gone back. They could have taken it back into their hands. If all they were doing was looking down without looking up, man, it would have been so easy to just grab hold again. But... They were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. I may not see the building yet, but I know the builder. I'm going to look up before I look down. So go back to go forward. Look up 
before looking down. And finally, slow down to speed up. This is going to hurt. I might step on some toes. Surgeon General's warning. If you want to speed up your spiritual growth, you, you want to rapidly improve the strength of your faith, you cannot go faster than the pace of Jesus who walks with you. You want to go far on the journey of faith, you have to go one step at a time. Just like literally everyone else. <laughs> You're like, God, I want to trust you with everything that I have. And he's like, great, why don't you start by tithing regularly? Just give me 10%. You're like, God, I want to stop being so angry all the time. I've blown up at my wife or my kids for the last time. And he's like, I love that. I agree. Let's be done with it. Why don't you book an appointment with a Christian counselor or therapist? You're like, God, I want to walk in purity. But you keep scrolling when you've been triggered. Or you keep listening to that music about what's all that, that's all that about what happens in the bedroom. Or you keep watching some spicy scene when it comes on. And you're like, but God, I want to have a pure heart. I want to love you above everything else. And he's like, cool, cool. Why don't you start breaking up with your entertainment? Oh, you want to worship that and worship God. But God's like, I'm not interested in sharing you. I'm jealous for your heart. So it might be time to break up. <laughs> Maybe you're like, God, I want this relationship to work out. Every relationship I've ever had has ended in heartbreak. How come every person I'm interested in isn't, is so self-absorbed? You know who's annoyed at self-absorbed people? Self-absorbed people. And you're like, God, why can't I find somebody that just loves me and worships me? And he's like, yeah, because that's my spot. I'm not actually interested in finding someone who worships you. Maybe you should stop trying to find the right one, because that's my job. And maybe you should start working on being the right one. Just start there. Here's a question. If you finally found the right one, and they were looking at you right now, would they think they found the right one? You're like, God, I will go anywhere in the world to serve me. You can have my, my whole life. I love that. And he's like, fantastic. Why don't you go across the street and tell your neighbor about me? Like, God, I have faith to die as a martyr. I will pick up my life. I will go to the end of the world and I will die for you. Thank you. And maybe someday I will bless you with that death. But would you start today by picking up your cross and living for me? Will you die to you? Will you lay your pride down? Will you choose humility instead of always coming to your own defense? Will you let somebody else have their own way even when it's at your expense? And you're like, God, I will, I will jump as far as I can. And God's like, I, I know you want to, but I know how faith works. And I'm asking you to take it one step at a time. Hear the word of God. Believe the word of God. Move in the word of God. 
Faith is not about holding on to my hopes. Faith is about pursuing God's promise. That is the sanity of insane faith. That is a life that boldly challenges pride and fear with the cry, Say he can't! I know my God! I don't know the way. I don't see the building. I don't see even sometimes the promise yet. But I do know the one who's promised. And he is the one I trust. There's nothing that he can't do. And in that belief, I will move forward anyways. Faith is not holding on to my hopes. Faith is pursuing God's promise. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you would inspire faith inside of us to believe what you have said and to move forward, to, to believe more and to fear less, to lay our own pride down and to exalt you higher with our lives. Help us to be the people who demonstrate crazy faith as an opportunity for you to come through yet again. Amen.